Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. We are so excited to have you, just as we are every single week. This week, we are going to be talking about something that is at the absolute forefront of all of our minds, and that is digitizing our curriculum. And we are going to talk about the place that we are both going to start, which is with our assessments. Um, And before we get started today, because we are not going to waste any time, nobody has that much Time. We wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by a free masterclass that we are putting together for you guys, our wonderful listeners and audience. And it is called De- and it is called Down with the Reading Quiz. And it's all about designing formative assessments that work for you and that really make your curriculum more potent, more learnable. Potent. I don't know what a potent assessment is like. I don't either. I want, I want one. Do you mean <laughs> Do you mean like they pack a wall up? Because that's another favorite phrase of Marie's. You guys, I'm going to take over for Marie while she composes herself, but this formative assessment masterclass is going to help you actually teach the things you want to teach rather than punish kids for not reading and not doing what they're told. So we're going to help walk you guys through all of that. And we're going to cue the music now because that was too funny. I'm losing my mind. You're listening to Brave New Teaching, a podcast for educators challenging the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a high school English teacher in Illinois. 
And I'm Marie, and I'm also a high school English teacher in Southern California. We are so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. My friends, I have regained my composure. Thank you for sitting through that. I feel that we've all grown closer now. You know how sometimes you just get talking and then the words happen and you go, what? And then Amanda and I record this over Zoom. So I saw her face and I just kind of fell out of my chair. But I, was remi- I would be remiss if I did not tell you the website to go and sign up for this wonderful masterclass that we're putting together that actually really is pretty great. We've just recorded it today on the day that we're recording this podcast and we're pretty stinking jazzed about it, head over to bravenewteaching.com slash down with the reading quiz to sign up for this free masterclass. And uh, we're actually going to start talking about assessments. We're going to talk about digital assessments, how to create digitized assessments and how to grade. We've got some hacks for you. Take it away, Amanda, since I am floundering. Hey, listen, we're a team and we're going to get through this together. Um, But this is perfect timing that our masterclass and this episode are kind of coinciding. Um, And we know that no matter the format that you're looking at with for your school year, um, if you're blending or if you're using digital assessments, you're using in-person ones, no matter what, we have been upgrading to digital assessment way before anything happened with COVID or stay-at-home orders. So I know that there are a lot of benefits that I can think of why I've moved to a lot of my assessments digitally. Um, But for me, a lot of it's just been efficiency. I am the teacher who's like, okay, turn in your test. And then I put a chair out in the middle of the room and I collect the pile of essays and then I put them in some place in my room. Guys, I am not the Pinterest dream organized teacher. That is not me. So please don't get your, (laughs) any ideas in your head. I would lose piles of things that were turned in. I mean, all the time. So the the move for me to digital was not because of of, of being forced to, it was because I couldn't stand the piles anymore. (laughs) So there are real practical reasons. Absolutely the same. I am the Pinterest organized teacher. I am anal retentive in that room when it comes to like where everything's going to go. And it's come out of like necessity because I kept losing things or kids would be like, Mrs. Morris, I turned that in. And I would know in like, without a shadow of a doubt, I would know that that child did not turn that thing in. Kids lie, but I couldn't prove it. (laughs) So (laughs) isn't that the thing I needed a digital timestamp, you know? And so that, that was like the practical move for me to go digital for so many things. And then, you know, when the world shuts down and you actually have to, it's nice to have these things in place. And we know that a lot of us, including the two of us, are going to be uh, waist deep in putting together virtual learning again for the fall because everything's so unknown. So we may as well. Um, Yeah. So we have some good hacks for you guys on assessments, on grading things digitally. And yeah. This is an evolving conversation. So I'm sure we'll come back to it again later. And we're going to link all of this stuff, guys, in our show notes. If we go a little too fast for you, um, be sure to check out the show notes and find all of the links to our documents and a little bit more explanation. Um, We've broken down this episode into four categories. So the first category we're going to look at is all things Google Apps. The second category we're going to look at is all things Google Classroom. The third category is going to be doing virtual types of discussions and Socratic seminars. And then finally, we'll just kind of look at a mishmash of apps and extensions that have helped us with grading and other things of that sort. So let's jump into our first category, which is all things Google Apps. 
So for me, one of my cornerstone assessments that I talk about in the masterclass in great depth, um, but maybe you've heard me talk about on Instagram, are Sesame Street quizzes. And these quizzes are really simple, um, but they really were a problem when we were doing them on paper because they just became, well, a physical nightmare, but they also became really difficult to grade by hand. They took a long time. So we moved our Sesame Street quizzes to Google Forms. And since doing that, I've been moving a lot of types of quizzes and check-ins and reflections, uh, mostly formative stuff to Google Forms. Um, the nice thing about Google Forms is there is there are um, features that can make your grading process more simplistic and streamlined. You can turn Google Forms into quizzes um, really simply with multiple choice. Um, but as far as Sesame Street's concerned, I was using that as kind of the open paragraph answer to my question. So I'd use a text section for my question and then right below it is a paragraph response and that's worked really, really well for us um, in our classroom. And the best part is it also saves all of those goodies in a Google Sheet. So I can grade them from forms, but I can also grade them all collectively in one Google Sheet. So Google Forms, if you haven't already tried to convert one of your assessments to Google Forms, it's a really nice and easy place to start. It's pretty great. I use Google Forms for pretty much all of my formative assessments that actually pretty much all of them actually, um, except for a couple that I'm going to talk about in a minute. But you have more to say about Google Sheets, I know. Yeah, I guys have avoided Google Sheets like the plague. So this summer I did a little bit of Instagram stalking and my friend, a primary kind of life, started sharing how she uses Google Sheets, which is the Google app I have completely avoided, except for having to blunder through it for my certification. Because it's um, scary. It's, it's Excel and it's scary. But I learned on her Instagram stories, I can actually do math in Google Sheets, like very basic math, but she showed how to do it. So I have basically transformed all of the rubrics I was basically making in tables and then printing and doing by hand. Um, I have all of those now in Google Sheets with check boxes and point values. It my, was a mind blowing shift. My mind is and, blowing right now. Like, Oh my word. I will link all of this in the show notes so you guys can actually see it because hearing it is like you're suspicious, I bet. Um, but seeing it in real life is pretty cool. Um, I was using Google rubrics and other types of digital rubrics as well. Um, but the thing that we do at our school is that my students get a letter grade on the rubric, not a point value, not a number. So like in Google rubrics, you have to assign point values, which Marie will talk more about later. And I was looking for a way and I was just converting it. But what's really nice about the sheet is that now I have a much more accurate depiction of where my kids are. And it was just a little bit more customizable than what I was able to do in classroom. So really happy about sheets. A primary kind of life is she's amazing and has really cool color coded types of things. Like the great example of where primary teachers can really help out secondary teachers because organization and coding and everything, we all overlap on that front. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, well, one of my favorite things to use with Google Apps is to use the comment option on a document, on slides, whatever it is that a student is working on. If it's something that's a process piece, so it's really great for writing, but even for like any sort of practice, 
if I determine a certain number of comments that I would like to leave on that assignment, then I can require students as a graded assignment or a graded activity, something to respond to my comments, to make whatever changes it is, make whatever revisions or answer whatever question I'm asking them and then respond to my comment about what they did to address that. Um, it's a really cool way to like open a dialogue between myself and, and I was using that just in the classroom when we were physically there as well to have like a running record of just conversation between it's like little mini conferences. Um, but I really love comments for that sort of thing. I also love to use in Google Docs, you can name versions of a doc. So if we are going to be doing multiple revisions of something, I will have students name each revision with a date or like a, a very specific name that has somehow been like assigned out to the class. So like, let's say we revise it over a two week period. They're going to have to do an original, like a first draft. They're going to have to do a second draft where they go back through with the rubric I give them. And let's say there's a third draft where they do a peer edit. I'm going to have them name those versions three different times with the date that they're like saving it. And I will specifically look in their doc that's been shared with me for those versions to like see the progression. And it makes grading the process of writing specifically so much richer and just like it's because what I used to do like in the olden times is have kids hand write their first draft yeah. type their second draft and print it out staple it on top yes. right <laughs> and I would have this like novels worth of paper drafts and this is a way to do so so much more efficiently you can click through all the different versions and That's there's so no brilliant papers. yeah it's wonderful I it's like it's something I both saw somebody else do. It's like I saw two people do it. I, you're better than me. I don't remember who did it because um, this was like a year ago on Instagram. And then I went, wait a minute. I know exactly how to hack this for specifically my classroom because we do so much draft work and revision work. It's kind of awesome. It's amazing. And I know that there are a lot of teachers who have been asking me questions about preventing plagiarism in yeah. this digital world. And like, that is a surefire way if kids are working on the same draft over and over, like you, you will know, you will know. And I mean, and I hate that this is, this is a part of reality, but this is a part of reality when it's, when a parent says, well, prove to me that my student yeah. plagiarized, you say, okay, if you look at the document I'm looking at and version, you know, second revision, whatever it's called, do you see that big purple highlight? Well, that's where they copied and pasted because if you copy and paste that into a Google search, you'll see Wikipedia or whatever. Yeah. And, and, it, and it, it's a way to teach students too, like you're responsible and, and yes. you, there's no shortcuts here. We want you to really learn this stuff. Um, that's so, that's so cool for them to look back at their revision history in a too. meaningful way. Like that's really, really awesome. And if you think about it too, like beyond grading, it provides opportunity for reflection because they yes. forget what they did the first time we all do. And they can look back at it and go, wow, that was wow. <laughs> so yeah. Um, you and I are both big fans of Google classroom. So that's why our second, little category here is all things Google Classroom. And I don't know if anybody else has been using their newish gradebook option, like gradebook setup in Google Classroom. I'm a big fan. Our actual gradebooks that we use are through a different LMS and they don't integrate the way that my district is, like the way that our subscriptions work with Google and the other LMS, it doesn't integrate. So I do have to by hand move things over to the other one. However, 
students are able to see, like I can set up an actual grade book in Google Classroom where students and even parents can look and see progress and I can weight different categories. I mean, it's the same way that I would create a setup in a different LMS. They finally have that and it's, you know, it's Google. So it's super like user centric and like really easy to get through and kids can actually click on their actual assignment. That it just, I'm a big fan. Um, and you had talked a little bit about Google rubrics. I use Google rubrics for grading writing assignments, except that now that you're talking about Google Sheets, I might be a convert. Um, I like, though, that students see the Google rubric yes. in the assignment. So like it, when, so cool. I, when I assign, let's say, a synthesis essay or something like that, they see all of that without me having to like attach 18 million documents to that. Or like, you know, have, I like having things all in one place, especially if we're going to be in like a distance learning situation. But once again, this is all stuff that we also use in the regular classroom. It's just nice to be able to kind of hack it and simplify um, distance learning. And then the last thing that I love, well, not the last thing that I love, but another thing I love about Google Classroom is being able to integrate Google Classroom with outside apps and tools. So like Commonlit is something you guys have heard us talk about quite a bit. And Commonlit will integrate with, Google Classroom. So not just for like assigning purposes, but you can grade something within Commonlit or Newzella or like whatever the app is, as long as it integrates. And those scores will be imported into your Google Classroom gradebook. So it's all in one place, which is nice. It also integrates with Cami, with Actively yeah. Learn, the things that we've talked about before. I'll tell you more about Cami later, but that's, it's really, really nice. That's and I know fair. our school, we piloted Schoology and Canvas um, but we decided against both. So I don't think either one of us can speak to those and I apologize for that, but I have no insight other than when we played around with canvas, I was like, give me back Google classroom. <laughs> we have canvas in my district. We've had canvas longer than we've had Google classroom. Um, but when I came back into the English classroom a couple years ago, I just went straight up Google and I never looked back. So there we are. Yeah. So let's move into another type of assessment. So we've covered, you know, with Google apps and Google classroom, that really can be any type of assessment that you're giving. We get formative, reflective, summative, you name it. Um, but virtual discussions and Socratic seminar types of things are really uh, important to maintain in our classrooms, no matter the situation. And so one of the, the formats that I've come up with recently and plan to use like the first two weeks of school is actually a virtual discussion that uses Google Docs. And then we're using the comment feature as the place where the conversation is happening. So, so imagine this, just open up a Google Doc. On page one, you've got kind of like your central like list of questions that the kids are gonna deal with. And then maybe on your second page, you've got a list of sources, texts, poems, music that the kids are gonna consult to help them come up with answers for those questions. And then the following pages are just the individual questions themselves. And all the kids do is highlight a little bit of the, the text and then comment with their answer. And then all of a sudden, kids can start commenting and responding to each other, kind of building this margin full of comments and discussions. And the kids can reply to each other. They can pose other questions. And you're basically watching that margin fill up with comments becoming a virtual discussion. I was going to say, so it becomes discussion threads, multiple exactly. discussion threads on the one dot. That's really awesome. That's really creative. And that, well, there's lots of, of platforms that offer these kinds of things. That's yeah. not always manageable or doable. Like this is a really like bare bones piece of cake. 
Uh, I also thought it'd be kind of cool that you could assign questions to small groups. So if you wanted to kind of manage the amount of comments, you could say, okay, um, group A, I want you guys to look at questions one, three, and five, and then group B, you know, two, whatever. So like you can kind of manage that and, and break it down in a way that I don't think it's going to take a lot of mental energy or teaching the kids a new platform to use. Yeah. It's just really simple. So is this something that students, like would students be able to, if you pushed out this doc view only to the whole class, can they comment on it or does it have to be able to edit? You actually push it out as comment only. Oh, oh. Look at you. So I, I lied. So on Google Classroom, you, you push it out as view only in Google Classroom, but the setting on the doc, on the doc is, is comment only. Comment so only. what I love about this is that one of the biggest gripes, and as a parent myself, this was difficult. And if I hadn't been a high school teacher, this would have been way more difficult with my own first grader. The different platforms and tools that we use between different teachers, like among different teachers, middle and high school students we're having a really hard time navigating and figuring out how to actually use all of those different tools. So I love that you can just kind of like bare bones. That's a great idea. Just straight up. And that's why I want to use it at the beginning of the year because yeah. I, I'm going to talk about a little bit now. I want to talk about Parlay. Parlay is a much more sophisticated and amazing tool. It's way better than that uh, streamlined version. But Parlay is something that I really want to have time to yeah. teach students how to use. Well, so some, basically, of these, some of these tools, there's a certain amount of like savviness and like tech comfort that needs to be in place. So yeah, no, I like that idea that you're saying of starting really simple and then moving into more sophisticated tech. Yeah. And it's not even, yes, it is sophisticated. And, and I think what's important, like you said, is streamlining things and layering them as they're needed. And, and Parlay is an extra, but it's, it does cool things, especially in the classroom. Yeah. The online discussion forum is great. It's organized. Um, the, one of the cool features that I really like about Parlay is that it's anonymous discussion. So the kids are, are shielded by a pseudonym of some kind of famous educational person, um, which I've noticed in the last year of using it really helps kids open up and not feel so shy to leave their name next to a comment. So it mitigates that. Um, there's an in-person feature to Parlay where kids can kind of tap in and out of the conversation. You get a record of how many times kids have wanted to talk, have actually spoken categories of the different things that they've done during the discussion, whether they've elaborated, asked a question, turned the conversation to a new topic. Like you get way more data from Parlay. Um, but again, it's, you, you've got to just use what works best for you. That's cool. Yeah. I like it. Um, one of my favorite tools to use, which actually comes again from my first grader, <laughs> his teacher was using Flipgrid with their first grade class to have students respond to like reading response questions and then respond to their classmates. And it made it so much more comfortable for him, for my son, to be able to talk to his friends and for them to comment back and forth. And it, it made kids open up. And I went, well, why the heck couldn't my high schoolers use this platform too? Like, why haven't I been using this? And I used Flipgrid with um, book clubs for students to be able to asynchronously have book club discussions. And they're not, I mean, obviously it's not the same as like the conversation you and I are having right now. 
right? Because there's a different dynamic. However, it made it possible for students to be able to have a small little group. Like I only invited the book club to that grid. That's awesome. And then I had, you know, just, I scheduled out, it, it was very time consuming to schedule out all of the different book club meetings and like prompts. But once they did it once, they understood how to like, I had, you know, I had different guidelines on like how many times you need to respond to your group members and each person had to bring like a discussion question. You had to respond to everybody's discussion questions. And the, and so it took some doing, but it's a great way to bridge the gap between in-person and asynchronous virtual learning because like, let's be honest with ourselves, not like everybody's going to be sitting at their computer all day long because that's not how humans are. And I know you also used during distance learning in the, in the spring of 2020, you were using Flipgrid as an option to, to show up for a class meeting versus being on a Zoom. And I yes. love, I, I think if we're going to use Flipgrid, we definitely have to have alternatives available because yes. what I noticed on, on the ELL side with Flipgrid, it is, it is a total nightmare for an ELL kid to show up and speak publicly like that. Like it's just, they're so self-conscious sometimes. Yeah. And the beauty and, and, of it too is there are settings where only the teacher can see. Like you don't have to let the whole so class awesome. see. And yeah. so, yeah, so it just depends on the usability. Um, I another, it. I mean, another thing that's more synchronous, another option would be to use Zoom um, for like breakout rooms or you and I were talking before we started recording. We have heard buzz about Google Beats having breakout rooms. Neither of us can find anything about it, but hopefully like by the fall, that will be a thing. I personally for student meetings prefer Google. Um, because I do, but it's nice to be able to use breakout rooms because you can put groups into little smaller groups together and you can just float. You can pop in and out of these different breakout rooms the same way you would float around a classroom with small group discussions. Um, and that's a way to do it live and like in person. So should we talk about you guys a lot? Yeah, I know. <laughs> we said this was going to be short and it's not. But we have just a few different apps and extensions, and then we are going to get out of your hair. And once again, this will all be in our show notes. So if it's too much, we know it's too much. It's in the show notes, we promise. And we, we just know that you guys are all at different places. So we want to make sure we're offering new things to people who've been around for a while and enough to people who are just starting out. So if you're trying to hack your grading game, um, the first recommendation I would have for you is to try Moat. That's M-O-T-E. Moat is a Chrome extension that essentially allows you to, again, use the comments feature in a Google Doc or in any place that you can use comments in a Google program. And you can leave voice comments rather than typing comments. And for someone like me, and I'm guessing Marie, um, for me, speaking to students is not only more efficient, it's more personal. And I feel like I can say a lot more in a one minute comment than I can type over the doc, especially when it comes to writing. So the next thing that I shared in my stories a little while ago, there's an app that someone shared with me. If you are using an LMS platform and you want to transfer grades between Google Classroom and that LMS, there is an app called Grade Transferer. What? It's not perfect, but it does work for the most part. For the most part. Um, and it's been amazing. So we'll have to do some more experimenting with it, but you guys can definitely check it out. Grade transferer. It's a mouthful. 
but it's out there. Um, my last and final recommendation is not really a grading hack, but more of another assessment, like project-based type of app, um, is using Kami. Kami allows really nice integration with Google. Um, but the best thing about Kami is it's basically a way for you to mark up a PDF and then let students do annotating on that PDF. So I love using political cartoons and visuals in my classroom. And you can't really like annotate a Google slide. You can't put a marker in the spot where you want it to be on a Google slide. But with Kami, you can actually use like a red dot, a blue dot, a green dot, like on a specific place on that PDF and then comment. The comment is connected to that spot. So if you're talking about, you know, the placement of a person or the color used somewhere, or there's so many ways to use Kami. I'm not even doing it justice. That's really cool. Um, but it's really nice. Integrates with Google Classroom. So you can assign, um, the assigning is nice because you can assign it view only and then all the kids can comment on the same, or you can assign assignments to individual students. And non-Google Classroom users, like, because I know many of you are going to be like, I use Canvas. Um, most of the things that we are talking about, most of the tools we're talking about in the apps do integrate with Canvas. I know that sure because do. my teacher husband uses Canvas. And so we've been looking at that as well. Um, but like I said, my district has Canvas as well. So I always like to find things that I can recommend to my friends that are dual use. And... Speaking of assessments, we want to make sure that we invite you and remind you to register for our masterclass that I so eloquently spoke about at the beginning of this episode. It is down with the reading quiz, creating formative assessments really that like work for you and that work for your students and that help you, the teacher, really determine their learning and the process of learning and help to evaluate where students are and where we need to fill in gaps. Um, and we've got some great assessment hacks and that sort of thing for you. So head to bravenewteaching.com slash down with the reading quiz and join us because it's going to be a party talking about And assessment. next week is when we start these master classes. Also next week on the podcast, we are featuring our very first interview. Um, and we interviewed one of the most interesting people I've talked to in a long time, Dr. Absolutely. Anindya Kundu. And he has just published a book. You guys, this interview is going to blow your mind. He's done two TED Talks and he is someone who's done a ton of research on student advocacy. He's a sociologist. Um, and so he's going to really give us some cool context into how to help students in our classroom who are facing struggles and how to best serve them. So we're really going to take a turn from instruction to supporting students. And we're thrilled about this episode. So make sure you're here next week. Absolutely. And as always, like we said, all of the information we have talked about can be found in the show notes. Just head to bravenewteaching.com and we'll all be there for you. Thank you so much for joining us and we will see you guys next time. 